Good morning. Uh, prior to John's lesson, we'll be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, uh, verses 3 through 9. If you're using one of the Red Pew Bibles, that can be found on page 818. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 3. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Good morning. We're glad that you're here this morning, especially if you're one of our visitors. We're really glad that you've come our way. We have lunch prepared after services this morning. If you'd like to join us, just ride out this, these doors in the uh, uh, building adjacent to this one. We'd love for you to stay and share a meal with us so we can get to know you better. Thank you so much for being a part of our assembly this morning. I want to remind everybody that this coming weekend will be our Living with Loss seminar. That is Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to noon. But there's breakfast burritos being served at 8.30, so you might want to be here for that as well. If you plan to come, this is for everybody. If you plan to come, sign up in the foyer on the sign-up sheet so that we can get a head count for uh, food needs and those kinds of things. This is a seminar that is going to be certainly applicable to those who have experienced loss in their lives. And what does the Bible say about these matters? But also for all of us, no matter whether we've experienced a great loss or not, we can learn to be better comforters. We can learn to be better helpers as we listen to Brother Miller's lessons this coming weekend. So if you have the time and ability, please consider coming and being a part of that seminar. Saturday morning here at the building from nine to noon, and then Sunday all day, he'll be preaching. We'll have a combined adult class here in the auditorium this coming Sunday morning, and he'll be preaching at both services next week as well. So please be praying about this and looking forward to this. One additional comment on that. If you are a widow or a widower, a widow or widower, Brother Miller, when he comes and does these seminars, he likes to do something special for widows and widowers. And so what he is going to do is on Friday, this coming Friday, he is going to provide lunch for everybody who is a widow or widower that would like to join him. Spring Creek Barbecue right down here on the access road between I think Mason and, uh, and 99, somewhere in that vicinity. Spring Creek Barbecue, we've reserved a room, a separate room, and Brother Miller would like for you to join him. If you have questions about that, come talk to me. I've talked to another congregation that had a similar workshop recently, and they said that all the widows and widowers that went to that luncheon were just overjoyed at the time that they got to spend together, the encouragement they received. It was very, very positive, the entire experience. And so if nothing else, it's a free lunch. But please encourage uh, those that you know that are widows or widowers, if they're kind of on the fence thinking about it, my, my recommendation to you would be take advantage of that offer, take advantage of that opportunity. Brother Miller wants to encourage. He wants to help. And you know, a lot of times as the church, we, we put a lot of emphasis and rightly so on marriage workshops and parenting seminars and things like that. But we don't always 
put as much emphasis on things like people who are going through loss and experiencing that and how to deal with that part of our lives as well. That's what this weekend promises to be. So please, again, be praying about that. Please be playing to participate. Again, if you're coming Saturday morning, sign up. If you're coming Friday for the lunch, there's no sign up. Just show up, 11 o'clock, Spring Creek Barbecue. That's all you have to do. And look for the guy. His picture is on the flyers out in the foyer. So just take one of his pictures and just look around the restaurant for that guy. They'll be in the private room, in the separate room. Probably go in there first and then go get your order later. I think that's the way he would have you to do it. Thank you so much for for, uh, indulging me in, in talking about that for just a moment. I want to remind you, because we're now three weeks into the new year, we have started reading the Bible together as a congregation. And I know a couple of us have probably already kind of fallen down on our resolution. We're going to read the Bible. This week, get back on the horse, just like a cowboy. If he falls off the horse, what's the right thing to do? Get back up on the horse and keep riding. Get back up on your horse and keep riding this week. Matthew 17 through 22. Those are the chapters we're going to read together. So let me encourage you, if you've fallen off or if you've kind of lost energy in doing this, it's a daily kind of practice, one chapter a day. Talk about it with your family. Talk about it with your brethren in Christ. What are you reading together? This past week, we have read from Matthew chapter 13. Did you notice how many parables Jesus taught in Matthew 13? Parables about the kingdom. Open your Bibles there if you would. Matthew 13, parables, what are they? They are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. That is, Jesus goes from the familiar to the unfamiliar by telling us about things that we know, things about like planting a seed or casting a dragnet into the ocean, things like that. He talks about things that are familiar to people and then makes spiritual illustrations and applications from what he talks about in the things that are familiar. That's what a parable is. It's laying one story alongside another to teach a principle. And we're going to study this morning the parable of the sower. If you look at the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, you'll notice verses 3 through 9 that Sean read just a few moments ago is the original parable. But then there's an explanation that begins in verse 19. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 and 19, Jesus gives the interpretation. What does this mean? And all the way through verse 23, he talks about the parable of the sower and the soils. Let me begin this morning by saying this. You'll never ever in your life come across a teacher that was better than Jesus Christ. He is the master teacher. In fact, he was so good at teaching that people came from miles around and they followed him for days just to listen to what he said. They wanted to see his miracles, of course, but it was his teaching that drew men to him and it was amazing to listen to him teach. In fact, some soldiers were sent to arrest Jesus on one occasion and they, instead of arresting him, they listened to him for a little while and they left him alone, went back to the people that had sent them and they said, nobody ever spoke like this man, John 7 verse 46. There was never a teacher and there never will be a teacher who does it better than Jesus. If that's true, and if it's also true that Jesus came to save men from their sins, Luke 19, verse 10, if he came to cause people who were lost to be saved, if that was his purpose, here's my question. Why didn't everybody listen to him? Why did some people walk away from Jesus sorrowful? 
Why did some people listen to his lessons and for a little while hear what he had to say and then say, you know, that's not for me. Did Jesus do something wrong? Could he have said it better? Why did some people get so mad at him that they actually wanted to kill him? Couldn't he have, couldn't he have been a little bit nicer? Couldn't he have couched his words a little bit more encouraging tones and things like that? Jesus is the master teacher. And the parable of the sower, brothers and sisters and friends, it answers the question, why don't people always listen to God's word? Why didn't they listen to Jesus? And why won't they always listen to you or to me as we try to teach people about the Bible? It's also a parable that calls us to question our own hearts and ask, Master, is it I? Am I one of the three kinds of soil that doesn't listen, that doesn't take God's word into account and says, you know what, that's not for me? Is that me? Is that you? What's your heart like? As you look at Matthew chapter 13, I want us to notice first of all this morning this. When Jesus tells the parable of the sower and the soils, I want you to notice in the first place that the Bible indicates very clearly that the seed that's being planted is God's word. The parable begins like this. Look at Matthew 13, verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower, Jesus says. Matthew 13, verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. That which was sown, uh, this is that which was sown along the path. What's being sown? The seed is being sown. The way people would sow seed in those days, they would have kind of a bag and they would just take handfuls of seed and they would just scatter it. They would just throw it. And they're not just scattering it indiscriminately. They are going in hopefully fields that have been furrowed, that have been plowed already. But even then, as you're scattering seed, as you're planting a field for harvest, Some of the seed's not going to fall in the same place. Some of it's going to fall in good places and others it's not going to fall in that great of a place. And so Jesus, as he talks about this parable, he's saying there's somebody who's sowing seed. What's the seed that's being sown here? What does Jesus intend for us to understand? The seed is the word of God. Luke chapter 8 verse 11, which is a parallel account to Matthew 13. You'll also, by the way, read the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8, in addition to Matthew 13. So, in this parallel account, it says in Luke 8 verse 11, the seed is the word of God. Jesus is talking about here why people don't always respond to God. Why they don't always respond to God's word. Have you ever had a friend or a coworker, maybe a relative, and you start talking about Bible things? And you can open your Bible and you can show them verbatim, this is what it says right here. And they say, yeah, but I don't agree with that. My church doesn't teach that. Or I believe differently. Have you ever had an experience like that? And you you think, why? Why is this this different? Parable of the sower. So what are we supposed to sow as Christians? What is Jesus all about sowing? He's all about sowing the Word of God. And the Word of God is called a seed in this passage. Why is it called a seed? When you think about the properties of a seed, seed always has life in itself. Even though you can go down to your local nursery and you can buy little packets of seed 
and they're in those little paper packages, you can take those seeds, you can plant them in the ground, and life will spring forth, won't it? If you plant it in a good place, give it enough water, give it enough sunlight. James chapter 1 verse 18 says, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. It compares us to plants that are growing. Why? Because the seed of God's word has been planted in us and it's brought life to our lives. It's brought newness. It's brought God's life into our existence. Seed has life in itself. And not only that, why is the Bible called seed? Because seed is powerful. You take those little seeds that you buy at a nursery and you plant them and what amazing variety, but what amazing, what amazing power those seeds have. You take an apple seed and plant it in the ground and if you have the right conditions before long, you have an apple tree and you wait enough years and that tree gets to be sizable. Those little tiny acorns that everybody's annoyed by right now because they're falling from every oak tree around here and have been for weeks. Those little tiny acorns, they're powerful, aren't they? They they make those mighty oaks. The Bible is like that. It will revolutionize your life. If you'll listen to it and you'll put it into practice, Hebrews 4 verse 12, the word of God is living and it's powerful and it's sharp like a sword. Romans 1 16, the gospel is God's power to save us. Seed is powerful. The Bible has power. It'll change your life. Why is the Bible called seed? Because seed always produces fruit. Always. Seed produces fruit. And that's what God wants from you and what he wants from me. John 15, verses five through eight, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. God wants you, God wants me, based on what we read in his word, to hear and to obey and to be fruitful. The fruit of righteousness, James chapter three, verse 17. The fruit of souls, Romans chapter one, verses 13 and following. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. The kind of fruit that God wants produced in our lives. It's all over the Bible. Be fruitful as God's people. Let his word change your life. Why is the word of God called seed by Jesus? Because seed has got to be planted to do much good. James 1, 21. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James is emphatic that we have to welcome God's word into our hearts. It's got to be planted in order to do much good. As long as a seed is sitting on your cabinet in a package, it's not going to produce anything. As long as the Bible remains unopened in our lives and in our hearts, it's not going to do much good. Seed's got to be planted to do much good. And that's why Jesus describes himself as a sower who goes to sow seed. One of the things you and I need to think about when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to teaching, when it comes to reaching people with the gospel, there is a lot of tilling of the ground that needs to happen sometimes in our relationships. But at some point, the word's gotta be sown. At some point, the seed has got to be planted. At some point, people have to get to a point where they clearly understand what does the Bible teach? What does God want of me? Because seed has got to be planted to do much good. Why is the word of God called seed? As the rest of this parable will teach us, seed depends on the ground for production. 
When Jesus taught people, he always taught the very best lessons that could be taught. He always taught very clearly. He always taught in such a way that people who were spiritually minded, who were thinking the way he was thinking, they understood, at least they knew generally what he was getting at, even if he didn't always explain everything at the moment. But different kinds of hearts respond differently to the word. And you and I, we ought to think about what kind of soil, what kind of ground we are. Seed depends on the ground for production. That's why the word of God's called a seed. And so, is there power in the word? Why do we preach from the Bible? Why are we trying as a congregation to get more and more of scripture into more people's lives? Because we believe the word is a seed. And we believe that when you take the seed of God's word and plant it, you'll always get the same kind of fruit. You'll always get the same kind of product. You always get a disciple, a New Testament Christian. Next, as you look at the parable of the sower and the soils, I want you to notice that the sower is Jesus. Matthew 13, verse three, a sower went out to sow. Who is the sower? Who does Jesus intend for us to understand the sower is? He wants us to understand he is the sower. Well, Jesus, why don't people listen to you? I'll explain it to you, Jesus would say, but I'm the sower. Now, having said that, it is also legitimate when you read this parable to understand that the sower by extension is anybody, any of us, who want to take God's word and share it with others. You become a sower too. But Jesus is the original sower. He is the very best sower of God's word. You can't do it better than him. Now think about what it means that Jesus is a sower. Think about what it means for us to be a sower of God's word. In the first place, brothers and sisters and friends, if we would be good sowers in the field of God, we must commit ourselves to planting only God's word. That's our plea as a congregation, as people who want to follow Jesus, let's just plant what the word of God says. We're not interested in human philosophies and human traditions. We're not interested even in church tradition. We are interested in what the Bible tells us. What does the Bible say? That's where our hope is. That's where our heart is. That's what we want to sow. And therefore, all we want to teach people, not opinions and philosophies, but the word of God. Galatians 6 verse 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, whatever he plants, that he will also reap. Don't sow all kinds of philosophies and opinions. Jesus talked about people that sowed the commandments of men in Matthew 15 verses 8 and 9. You remember that this week? Where he talked about people that taught as doctrines the commandments of men. We need sometimes to step back and ask ourselves, what am I trying to plant? What is my aim? What is my goal? Because sowers plant only God's word. Notice as well, when you think about sowing, sowing is a partnership, brothers and sisters and friends. You and I don't sow all by ourselves. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered and God gave the increase. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've seen this process at work. There are a lot of people who are interested in souls. And even though I might teach someone, somebody else is going to have an opportunity to influence and to teach that person as well. And over time and with patience and with consistent sowing and watering, God can give the increase. We are partners with God in the work of sowing and evangelism. When Jesus describes himself as a sower, sowers think about soil. They think about the people that they're talking to and they think about where their hearts are. 
Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, the prophet says, break up your fallow ground. He talks to the Israelites and he's challenging them. Stop being so stubborn and hard-hearted. Stop being so obstinate and antithetical to the word of God. Don't do that anymore. Break up your fallow ground. Rend your heart and not your garments, Joel says in Joel 2, verse 13. Sowers need to think about the hearts of the people that they're trying to communicate with. And sowing requires patience, doesn't it? I don't know how many of you are gardeners. I suspect quite a few. If you're a gardener of any kind, even around Houston, where you can grow just about anything when it's warm, if you're a gardener, you know that even though you plant, you're still going to have to be patient until the harvest comes in. James chapter 5, verse 7, the farmer waits for the early and late rains. When it comes to sowing God's word, when it comes to teaching, I'm fascinated as I read about the work that God gives to preachers. And I read quite a bit about that, understandably, in God's word. I'm fascinated that the Bible says things like this to me as a preacher. It says, preach the word with all long suffering and doctrine. 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 and 2. Well, why, why is long suffering so important? Why do I need to be patient, God? I need to be patient because that's what sowing requires. Because just because somebody hears a lesson today doesn't necessarily mean that life change is going to happen today. I hope that it will. I pray that it will. But as a sower, I understand patience is required. Jesus understands that patience is required. Just look at how patient he was with those 12 apostles. Look at the way he treated them for three and a half years. And they still didn't get some things. Sowing requires patience. If we would understand why people respond the way they do to the Word of God, this has got to be part of our thinking as well. Now, the meat of the parable is the soils. So in the third place, the soils are hearts. I want you to listen to me. There are four kinds of soils described here and you are one of those four. Right now today, you are one of the four hearts that are described by Jesus. I am one of the four hearts described by Jesus. I want you to listen to this as well. You can decide which soil you want to be. You are not predestined to be one or the other. You can choose whether and how you listen to God's word. You can choose. You can decide on your own what you want to do with the message that you hear from God. You have that choice, you have that opportunity, and so do I. But Jesus is talking about, just matter-of-factly, why some people reject the word when they hear it. Look again at your Bible. Matthew chapter 13, again, look at verse 19. The first kind of soil is what we call the wayside soil. It deals with an unresponsive or a hard heart. Jesus says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. It's like this stage up here. There is no way a seed is going to be planted here. It's like the carpet down there. There's no way a seed is going to be planted and do any good in that carpet. Why? Because there's no way for it to penetrate. And there are people that you will talk to, you may be one of those people, I sincerely hope that's not the case, but there are people who come and listen to God's word with their arms folded and with their, with their skeptical looks on their faces and there is no chance, no chance in the world that what is being said is gonna make any kind of a dent. Not even gonna consider it. Not even going to entertain the thought that maybe this is something I ought to be a part of or this ought to apply to my life. Not going to listen. 
there are lots and lots of wayside hearts, hard hearts in the world around us. And Jesus is matter of factly telling us, if we understand what it means to be a human being, we're going to encounter some human beings who have set their hearts against God and against his word this way. The wayside soil just doesn't make a difference. Secondly, look at verse 20, the stony soil, the rocky soil. This is a superficial or a shallow heart, verses 20 and 21. Listen to what the Lord says. As for what was sown on rocky ground, verse 20, this is the one who hears the word, notice the seeds being planted, we're hearing the word, and immediately he receives it with joy. I've had experiences like this with people where the first time you talk to them about the Bible and about the gospel and you share with them the plan of salvation and there's, there's excitement and there's joy and wow, this is great, I'm, I'm excited about this. But then look what happens in verse 21. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of, what, of the word, immediately he falls away. So Jesus talks about a superficial or a shallow heart. And he says there's a danger in all of our lives and all of our hearts that there will be a quick conversion. There will be a quick response. And it's, it's sincere. There's enthusiasm. I want to do God's will. I want to serve God's way. But then, but then. As you obey the Lord, you find out that there's some difficulty involved in this. There's some challenge involved in serving Jesus. And this, this makes a difference in the way that people treat me. And it makes a difference in my friendships and my relationships with my family. And it's really hard. And I just don't want to do this anymore. The stony soil, the shallow soil. One of the best things that you and I can ever do with our time is to give attention to the part of our lives that nobody but God sees. And what I mean by that is, we need to grow some roots, all of us. We need to grow some deep roots in God's word, in our relationship with God. We do that primarily through prayer and through study of God's word. Grow some deep roots so that you have something to hang on to, so that you have a relationship with God when difficult times come, because they will come. You will be challenged as a Christian. Those times are coming. Don't be the stony, the shallow, the superficial soil. Look at the third kind of soil. Jesus says some people are like this. They're like thorny soil. Weeds. It's a crowded or a worldly heart. Look at verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. I believe there are a lot of good people that allow their hearts to become crowded. And notice the two things in this passage that Jesus says will crowd God's word out of our hearts. The cares of the world. Have you got any cares? You got any anxieties? You got any worries? You got any problems? that are just overwhelming to you? You got anything that's just on your mind and it's just all you think about all day long? You've just got this burden, you've got this weight and you just feel like you can't get rid of it? Jesus says, watch out about that. Everybody has those kinds of cares to some degree, but watch out about that because those cares, those anxieties, those worries, they may well choke God's word out of your heart, out of your life. 
You're a good person. You're sincere about being a Christian. But those worries and those cares and those weights and those burdens, they're working against you. Or what about the deceitfulness of riches? What about money and stuff? You think, you know, if I, if I just had a little bit more money, or maybe if I had a lot more money, I'd really have something. I'd be happy. I'd be content. If I could just have this or that, then I would have everything I need. And then I could get really serious about serving God. That's not the way Christians are to think. Riches are deceitful, brothers and sisters and friends. Here's what riches do. Riches make promises to us. They tell us, if you just have us, if you just have wealth, then you'll be happy. Then you'll be content. If you just have us, we live as was prayed this morning when we prayed for the offering. We live in the most wealthy country on the face of the earth. If that's true, and it is, Why aren't we as a country running around all the time telling each other how blissfully happy we all are? Have you ever wondered that? If we live in the wealthiest country with the highest standard of living in the world, if that's where we are, and we are, why aren't we so just gleeful and joyful? Why? Because it's the deceitfulness of riches. But you know what? That doesn't change the way most people live their lives. Most people look at riches and they say, yeah, but it's making me a promise. And look at, the, look at what it's promising me. Jesus says the deceitfulness of riches will choke the word out of your heart, out of your life. You get so consumed by money and things and stuff that God's word stops making a difference in you. Don't do that. Don't allow the thorns to choke God's word out of your life. Whether it's your worries, whether it's money, don't allow those things. And isn't it interesting that worries and money often go together? Don't allow that to dissuade you from hearing and obeying what God tells you to do. Number four, as you look at the soils, the good soil, it represents a good and honest heart. Look at verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. You hear the word, you bear fruit. That's the pattern. You listen to what God tells you to do, and then you begin to go and do and bear fruit to the glory of God. And that's the ideal. And at best, if I read this parable correctly, at best, it seems that Jesus expected that at least only one in four were ever going to do this, that listened to him. But you're one of those soils. And it's all about how you choose to respond to God's word. Number four, as you consider this parable, I want you to pay attention again to verse 23 that we just read. And I want you to notice that he talks about different amounts of fruit. 30, 60, 100, 100, 60, 30. Not every plant bears as much fruit as others. If you're a gardener, if you have landscaping, whatever, there are some plants that are just especially robust and they really produce. And there's other plants that, yeah, they're doing well, but they don't produce as much as this tree over here or that plant over there. That's just the way it is in gardening. And Jesus says that's also the way it is when it comes to people who have good and honest hearts. Not everybody who has a good and honest heart produces the same amount of fruit as everybody else. You might stop and just kind of ask yourself, I wonder why that is. If, if God's word is supposed to produce fruit in my life, 
And if I get serious about having a good heart and receiving God's word and doing what it says, why do different hearts, why do different lives produce different amounts of fruit? Let me suggest the following. Some people produce less fruit because they're converted later in life. There is nothing in the world wrong with being converted later in life. However, the Bible also says in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1, remember your creator in the days of your youth. The Bible tells us that God is giving all of us opportunities. And some people just wait until much later in their lives to get serious about obeying God's word. But they're not going to produce by necessity, by virtue of time, as much fruit as maybe somebody who's converted much earlier. Secondly, some people have more opportunities than others. I'm fascinated as I read the New Testament about all that it says about slaves. There were people in that, in that, in that society 2,000 years ago who lived as servants, as slaves. That was their lot in life. There was no opportunity to get up and go on vacation or to travel to another place because they belonged to the person that they worked for. And there are limited opportunities when you live that life of necessity. But can they bear fruit? Absolutely. Some of us, by virtue of where we're born, by virtue of the families that we live in, by virtue of the place that, the, the, the kind of occupation that we have, some of us have different opportunities than others. And opportunities to bear fruit will be different in some of our lives than others. Five talent man, two talent man, one talent man, Matthew 25, verse 15. Some people bear different amounts of fruit because they have different abilities. Some people just have more ability naturally. They have more talents and gifts naturally than others. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13. Some people, you and I ought to think about this as Christians, have greater support and encouragement from family than others. There are some people when they show up on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, if you know much about them at all, you know it was a chore for them. And the reason why it was a chore for them is because they have people that they live with that are not just apathetic about Christianity. They are antagonistic to Christianity. And yet those people get up and they get dressed and they show up for services because they love the Lord and they love the church and they want to help God's people to be encouraged and they want to know more of God's word in their lives. There are some people who get greater support and encouragement at home than others. And that can affect fruit bearing as well. But here's the point. The point is I can live my life, and if I've got a good and honest heart, I might only ever bear 30-fold. But Jesus is pleased with that. Or I could live my life, and I might only bear 60-fold. And I'm not supposed to look at the guy that's bearing 100-fold and say, well, I should be more like him. I'm supposed to look at my opportunities, and I'm supposed to look at my life, and I'm supposed to say, Lord, I want to bear as much fruit as I possibly can based on what your word teaches and if that's only 30-fold, if that's only five-fold, Lord, I'm content with what you've enabled me to do. The sequence demonstrates variety, and that's encouraging for us. Not all Christians are going to bear the same amount of fruit for the same length of time. But at the end of the day, the real question that Jesus leaves us with is this. Are you bearing fruit at all? And if you're not, why not? It's not because Jesus is unclear. It's not because he was a bad teacher. It's not because there were things that he could have said better. 
No, he is the master teacher. If you and I are not bearing fruit, it's because there's something wrong with our hearts. Either we are resistant to God's word or we're shallow or we're being crowded out and choked out by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. How's your heart? How are the hearts of the people that you love and care about? Questions to think about. If we can help you to obey the gospel this morning, the Bible tells us very clearly that the way somebody becomes a Christian, it boils down to this. I put my faith in Jesus. I confess his name. I repent of my sin. And then I'm baptized in water. I'm immersed for the remission of my sins. That's how somebody becomes a child of God. And maybe we can help you do that this morning. Maybe we can help you as you respond to God's word. That's the very first kind of fruit that God wants to see in us. Obedient response to the gospel. Maybe we can help you to do that. Or maybe we can help you by praying for you. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to hear from you. If we can help you in any public way, won't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing.